Volume Three, Chapter Ten of Mr. Hogarth's Will. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Mr. Hogarth's Will by Catherine Helen Spence. Volume Three, Chapter Ten, Mrs. Peck's Disappointment. Brandon had listened to this strange story of Mrs. Peck's without interrupting her. After she had concluded, he thought for a minute, and then said, "'Did you ever hear if the mother of the child you stole missed it?' "'How should I hear? We sailed that day for Sydney, and we never heard nothing about it.' "'What was her name?' asked Brandon. "'I don't know at all for certain. There were so many people in the house, and though she had been there three days, I had not asked nor had mother. But yet we must have heard it. I fancy it was Jackson, or Johnson, or Jones, or it might have been Brown.' but it was a common name as there's no recollecting. When mother took the child first, she thought she'd never know the one from the other, but afterwards she used to say that the mother might find out the difference. Both was much of a size, and my boy was much changed. But, said Brandon, there might be more or fewer teeth, or a difference in the color and length of the hair, or in the shape of the limbs, though the features and complexion might be changed by the convulsions. Your child was probably more emaciated than the other, a mother's eye might have seen differences that you, in your hurried examination, did not. Oh, the other appeared to be teething, too, but, as you say, I think it is most likely she did see the difference, but being out of the country I heard nothing about it. When did this happen? asked Brandon. Thirty-four years ago and more we sailed from London docks for Sydney. Where did you lodge in London when this affair took place? At a lodging-house in Street, near the docks, I think the number was thirty-nine, but I am not quite sure. Can you tell me the name of the ship the mother of the present proprietor of Cross Hall went to America in? asked Brandon. No, but we sailed, as I told you, on the 14th May, 18, in the Lysander, and the other ship was to sail for New York on the next day. Are you sure this woman was going to America? Yes, for the landlady told us so, and I could see, when we was in her room, that she was making preparations for a voyage. I think there's no doubt of that. Was there no mark on the child's clothes, no name on the boxes you must have seen when you were exchanging the two children? asked Brandon. Not as I recollect of, nor mother either, for we have sometimes talked over it and wondered about it. Our time was so short that we took no notice of such things. And how did you two precious colonists like Sydney? asked Brandon. Oh, well enough. We held our heads high there, for we was free people, you know. "'though you had both done what you deserved hanging for,' said Brandon, under his breath. "'Where did Phillips meet with you and your daughter? "'For I suppose Mrs. Phillips is your daughter, "'though your first experiment in child-stealing had been so successful, "'it might have tempted you to another of the same kind. "'Oh, Betsy is my daughter, and an ungrateful one she is. "'We met with Phillips in Melbourne, just when we came first to Port Phillip. "'Peck had run through the fifteen hundred pounds that we got from Cross Hall,' and we was hard up and obliged to leave Sydney under a cloud. But Peck, he said, such a handsome face as she should be a fortune to us. It's been a fortune to herself, but as for me, she never thinks of me. And there's Frank. When I wrote to him after I had read in an old newspaper at the diggings that he had come into the estate, and I asked him for a little help, he never condescended to send me an answer or to take the least notice of me that has done so much for him. If it had not been for me, where would he have been now?' His mother was a poor woman. If you'd seen the poor old nightgown I took off of him, and there he has been educated like a gentleman, and getting cross hall, and being a member of Parliament, too, 
and never to take trouble to write me a line or send me a penny. I said I'd be revenged on him, and so I shall. Well, Mrs. Peck, said Brandon, I will just write down the particulars of this curious story, and you will sign it if you think I have put them down correctly. So with clearness and brevity Brandon sketched the facts, if facts they were, which Mrs. Peck had narrated, and then he read what he had written. I don't see as there's any call to put in about how I got Henry Hogarth to marry me. That has nothing to do with the case in hand, said Mrs. Peck. I think, said Brandon, that if the young man is to lose the property through this confession, he has a right to know what sort of mother he loses with it. I think you had better sign this as it stands. I have signed something for you, and you must do the same for me. Mrs. Peck signed her name rather reluctantly as Elizabeth Hogart, known as Elizabeth Peck, and was proceeding to give some account of her relations with Peck, of rather a romantic character. Perhaps, after so long a stretch of trying to tell the truth, she needed some relief to her imagination, but Brandon soon stopped these revelations, and sent her thoughts in quite another channel. "'Now,' said he, "'I believe this to be a true statement, a perfectly true statement, but it is of no use whatever to be used against Mr. Hogarth. The property was left to him by will, as distinctly as possible.' "'By will,' said Mrs. Peck, looking aghast, "'my newspaper said he was the heir at law, but it would never have been left to him if Harry had not thought Frank was his son. It was left to Francis Ormistown, otherwise Hogarth, for fifteen years clerk in the Bank of Scotland,' said Brandon, reading from Elsie's memorandum. "'But he is neither Ormistown nor Hogarth, nor Francis neither,' said Mrs. Peck, triumphantly. "'He can claim nothing. Francis Ormistown or Hogarth is dead, dead thirty-four years ago,' This man has no name that any one knows. I will swear that the child Harry Hogarth took out of my arms was neither his child nor mine, and that he had no right to inherit Cross Hall. The nieces must have it. They were his nearest relations. None of his brothers left no children, and the Melvilles should get the estate, and I should get my thousand pounds. I wish your oath was worth more, said Brandon regretfully. I wish you could prove what you state as a fact, but all you have told me is absolutely worthless in a court of law. You say you told a parcel of lies to one whom you should have kept faith with, for a pecuniary advantage, and now you want to contradict them in hopes of getting a thousand pounds from the Mrs. Melville, and in order to revenge yourself on the boy whom you so cruelly injured. I am sorry to say nobody would believe a word of this story except myself, and I do. But could you not look up in old newspapers to see if there was any stir made at the time about a changed child? said Mrs. Peck trembling with excitement and disappointment. She had been so long accustomed to look on this secret as capital to herself, her mother, and Peck, and herself had always thought that in case of Mr. Hogarth's death a good deal might be got out of the air, and she had not parted with the certificate of her marriage, or of her child's baptismal register, in case he had left no will, and the heir at law had to be found. She had sent copies of these documents, very admirably executed by a Sydney friend, who had been sent across the ocean for a similar instances of skill to Mr. Hogarth, so that he did not think she had any proof to bring forward to support her claims to be Frances's mother, but it was only recently that she thought of making more favourable terms with regard to her other secret, with the disinherited nieces than with the ungrateful heir, and their coming so near just when she was exasperated at Frances's neglect had made her overlook the want of proof. She had now fatally injured herself with Frances, with a very faint chance of success with the Melvilles. She therefore repeated nervously, "'Look over the old newspapers. The mother must have known the difference. There must have been some inquiry about it that would prove my statement, 
which is all true, every word of it, as I hope for salvation. Yes, that might be of some use, that might be seen to, said Brandon, doubtfully. Our data are meagre enough. Your mother is dead, I suppose, and she is the only person besides yourself who knew of the crime you both committed. She is dead and gone a dozen years ago, and it was her as committed the crime, as you call it, and not me. I won't answer for it to nobody. Well, we must make inquiry in the house, though I fear that is hopeless, and in the newspapers. If you had had the sense to have got the mother's name, we might advertise in America, but I suppose you thought then that the less you knew about it the better, though you cannot expect the thousand pounds. But you promised it, said Mrs. Peck. I'll say nothing more unless I can get something first. You have basely deceived me. I never heard of a more scoundrelly action than getting me to tell you all that old story, and put myself into such a wrong box, on the pretense that I was going to get a thousand pounds, and now you say what you signed is a waste paper. I'll get my own statement from you back again, before you leave this. And Mrs. Peck, with eyes of fury, planted herself at the back of the door. The next thing you'll do will be go and give information, I fancy. Be cool, Mrs. Peck. I do not mean to injure you. As I said, though there is no chance of our depriving Mr. Hogarth of property left to him so clearly as this, I think I may take it upon me to say, as his friend— His friend, interrupted Mrs. Peck, oh, how you have deceived me! And you call yourself a gentleman, I suppose, and serve an old woman like that. Yes, as his friend, said Brandon, firmly. I think I may say that he would be disposed to reward you, if you can prove that you are not his mother. I do not hesitate to say that he would give you five hundred pounds for such information as would hold in a court of law that he is not your son. Mrs. Peck brightened up a little at this offer, though she could scarcely imagine any valid reason for it. I think I could prove that, I really think I could prove that. There was my cousin that we lived with in Edinburgh, Violet Strachan, one of the witnesses to my marriage. She saw a great deal of my child, for till we went to London we lived in her house, and Frank was born there. She knew that he took convulsion fits very badly, and that he had a brown mole on his shoulder that this boy cannot have. I don't know of any other birthmarks, said Mrs. Peck. And this woman lived in Edinburgh. Do you think she is alive? Was she older or younger than you? Oh, older by ten years, said Mrs. Peck, feeling the ground give way under her. I hope she is not dead. She lived in number fifty seven, New Street, leading down to the cannon gate, up three pair of stairs. Her husband was a saddler, and she kept lodgers. His name was George. He would recollect something about Frank. Peck could swear that I have told him over and over that my boy was dead, and that the boy Cross Hall brought up was none of mine. But Peck's word is worth nothing, said Brandon. Betsy could say something of the kind. I am sure she must have heard us hint at it often, but she is not sharp. Perhaps she did not notice. Does no one else know anything about it? said Brandon in despair. No one. But surely I ain't got no cause to take such blame on myself if it was not true, said Mrs. Peck sulkily. You unfortunately had a motive, two strong motives. A deathbed confession, for no hope of gain or revenge, might have carried weight, but this carries none. The only accomplice of your crime is dead. The mother from whom you stole the child is probably dead also, and at any rate gone out of England. You do not even know her name, or the name of the ship she sailed in. The witness who you think could prove the non-identity of the present possessor of Cross Hall is most likely dead also, and if alive must be an old woman, who has probably forgotten the trifling circumstance of the existence of a mole on a child after thirty-five years and more, and people outgrow these peculiarities. You have not the ghost of a case for the Melvilles. 
Hogarth might give you something for the chance that you are speaking truth, to get rid of your claims forever, and the satisfaction of feeling that you are nothing to him. That's what I ought to have done. Peck always said I was too hasty, and his words has come true, said Mrs. Peck. I might have got something handsome out of the air, but for your interference I might have got something out of the Melvilles. Nonsense, said Brandon. They have nothing to give, unless you gave the property to them, and you cannot do that. I am glad you are to get nothing with your sweetheart, said Mrs. Peck, maliciously. My daughter's maid, I suppose, is the person. Half of Cross Hall would have been a good fortune, but you are not to get it. You must not come to Mrs. Phillips's again. I am going to stay in the house till her husband returns, and will protect her from you, said Brandon. Protect her from her own mother, said Mrs. Peck. Let them hold their heads as high as they like. They can't get out of that. I am her mother, and if I like I will publish it. Her father was a gentleman. I was in Clover when I lived with him, but he married, and then he died and left no provision for us, and then I fell in love with Peck, and have stuck with him ever since. He is in Adelaide now, where I wish I had stopped with him with all my heart. Do you think as Phillips would overlook this if I went back quiet, and keep sending me the poor little allowance as I need to keep soul and body together, for I'm an old woman now and past working? I do not know. I will speak with him on the subject, and will probably see you again in a few days. If you think of any collateral evidence in the meantime, it will be as well that you tell me. In the meantime, I must go to communicate to Miss Melville what you have told me. Elsie was sadly disappointed at the doubtful nature of the evidence which Mrs. Peck had to give. She had had such brilliant visions of the happiness which Jane and Francis might have together, if it could only be proved that they were not cousins, and she could not help seeing with Brandon that the chance of establishing it was very small. Brandon told Mrs. Phillips the reason why Mrs. Peck had so assiduously courted Elsie, and then asked if she could recollect anything which she had heard from her mother, her grandmother, or Peck, which would corroborate these unsupported statements. "'I cannot say anything. I will not say a word till Stanley comes home, and then I will tell him. He would not like my mixing myself up with her in any way while he was gone, and I never will keep anything from him,' said Mrs. Phillips. "'You are quite right,' said Brandon, who nevertheless was rather impatient for any information she might give, and thought it might be valuable from her hesitation about the matter.' He had not long to wait, however, for Mr. Phillips came down on the following day, and heard all his wife had to say, and all Brandon had to say. "'You know, Brandon, that it would be horrible to me to have my wife's name brought into a court of justice as the daughter of that woman, cognizant, even in a very vague way, of such a serious crime,' said Mr. Phillips. "'And what purpose can it serve? You can neither enrich Jane or Alice Melville by proving that the crime was committed, Mr. Hogarth is as worthy a successor as the old man could have found, and neither of the Melvilles grudge him his good fortune. Alice will be as comfortable as you can make her, and I wish you both joy from all my heart, and I believe you will be happy. Miss Melville will be as comfortable and happy as we can make her till she chooses a home for herself. Why wish to rake up old stories for no good whatever? I dare say the story is true. I said to Hogarth when he and Miss Melville consulted me about the first letter she wrote, that for the very reason she claimed to be his mother I believed she was not. I advised him not to write to her or send her money, and requested Miss Melville never to mention her name. Out of consideration for you, then, he did not answer her letter, and this has been the result of it. But we have no wish to deprive him of his property, and the only end we aim at is to prove that he is not Miss Melville's cousin. Alice tells me they love each other, but the marriage is forbidden by the will, 
unless at the sacrifice of the property, which in that case goes to some benevolent societies. Ah, said Phillips thoughtfully, in that case, if I thought Mrs. Phillips' evidence could establish it, I would perhaps be right to give it. But it cannot. I see it cannot. Mere vague hints, half recollected now that the subject has been brought prominently forward, though they may convince you and me, could not stand before a court of law. I think when you hear what Mrs. Phillips has to say you will confess that it would be wrong to put her and me to such distress, for so little good. I am sure Miss Melville would be the first to dissuade you from such a course. It is for the sake of our children that I am so anxious to conceal the connection. I can trust to you and to Alice, I hope, never to mention it. Brandon felt the justice of Mr. Phillips's reasoning, and yet was very sorry that he could not gratify his promised wife by anything satisfactory in the way of collateral evidence. "'Now, Elsie,' said Brandon, who now took the privilege of love, and called her by her pet name, "'what do you mean to do with this information? I think it quite useless for the end you wish to gain. Is it worth while to disturb Hogarth's mind, to lead him to make fruitless inquiries, to wear himself out in attempting to prove what I fear cannot be proved?' to make him feel that he has robbed you with even less semblance of justice than before. Can you not leave him to his own life, which will be a useful and distinguished one? Let us keep this vexatious confession, at least till you consult Jane. No, no, I think as we have done everything without consulting Jane, we will make up our minds on this matter too for ourselves. I know Jane will say with you that we should not communicate the news to Francis, for anything that appears to sacrifice herself and to save other people is what she thinks she ought to do. I don't think she can be very fond of Hogarth, after all. But she is, said Elsie, in her own quiet, deep way. She could give her own life for his, but she could not feel that she was worth the sacrifice he offered to make. I feel I could throw up everything for you, Elsie, said Brandon. But I should not like to see you do it, so I am very glad you have not got to do it. Poor Francis! "'Well, I suppose he will marry someone else, and she will do the same, and they will always be excellent friends,' said Brandon. "'But then the wrong is to the somebody else,' said Elsie. "'It seems quite wicked to think of such a thing. Can they not keep single for a purpose, as Peggy Walker did? Francis may immerse himself in politics to his heart's content, and Jane, she will be very happy in my happiness. You must love her. You must not be jealous of her. She has been everything in the world to me—my sister, my mother, my friend— and if she cannot have a home of her own, let her always be welcome to ours. Always, said Brandon, we must try to do our best to make up for what we cannot give to her. But you say that Jane would be disposed to keep back this? Yes, but I will send it, and write to him besides. If I were in his circumstances, I should think I had a right to know. I would rather hear the truth, so far as it can be ascertained about my parentage, than have it concealed for fear of hurting my feelings." He may act upon the information as he sees fit, so I will send him a certified copy of this confession, and write him a few lines besides. I want to tell him how happy I am. He was a friend to us in our sorrows, and he ought to know when any prosperity or pleasure or happiness comes to either of us. I must tell him I can confide in you now. That is a very pleasant piece of news, I am sure, said Brandon. Jane will write to him from Wiriwilta, but she cannot know of our engagement till too late for the mail. I think Jane formed a very shrewd guess as to my intentions, and if she writes fully to Hogarth will mention them. But, by the by, you must write a few lines to my mother. She will be delighted to hear this good news, and as for Fanny, the idea that there will be someone at Barragong to take a motherly care of Edgar, 
and make him change his clothes when he gets wet, and see that he wears flannel in winter, will be very soothing to her maternal anxiety. End of Volume 3, Chapter 10